0: As we begin a new series tonight, I'm going to be in the book of Isaiah, working our way through uh, portions of Isaiah, emphasizing the comfort of God's people. We start tonight by just giving you some background material. As we think about the prophets, the prophets of the Old Testament are divided into three groups. All of them relate to the exile, the carrying away of the children of Israel into captivity when they were in Babylon for 70 years. That's referred to as the exile, when they were exiled from Israel and were in the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. So the prophets are divided into three groups. There are the pre-exilic prophets, the prophets that are ministering before the time of that Israel is carried away into captivity. The pre-exilic prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. And then there are the exilic prophets. The prophets that are ministering during that 70-year time period when the children of Israel are in Babylon. They are Ezekiel, Daniel, and Obadiah. And then you have the post-exilic prophets, the prophets that are ministering after the return of the children of Israel to Jerusalem following the 70-year Babylonian captivity, and they are Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So you can see that the vast majority of the prophets are ministering prior to the exile. They are warning the children of Israel About the consequences of their ungodliness, warning them, encouraging them to repent, and if they fail to repent, they're going to go into this exile. The ministry of Isaiah is in the, as I said, pre exilic time, before they go into exile. But the book of Deuteronomy, excuse me, the book of Isaiah falls into two parts. There are the first 39 chapters that basically are. Chapters of gloom and doom. They are confronting the children of Israel with their sinfulness, their need to repent, and warnings about a coming overthrow if they don't repent. Starting with chapter 40, we have a change of theme. Chapter 40 on talks about God's forgiveness for the nation of Israel. It uh, speaks about God's Goodness to them, the Book of Isaiah has the broadest range of any old testament prophetic book, included in the teaching of the book of isaiah is christ 's birth, his deity, his ministry, his sacrificial death at some length as you think of isaiah fifty two and fifty three his coming again, his millennial reign, and then ultimately the new heaven and new earth. So it really spans an incredible amount of A, theological material, and B, time span as well. As we think about the book of Isaiah, because there's such a contrast from the first 39 chapters to the uh, 40th chapter to the end of the book, that a lot of people have suggested That there must be more than one prophet. That there is a first and second Isaiah, if you will. That there are two different prophets that are both ministering under the name of Isaiah because of the diversity of the material and because of the uh, pre-exilic and post-exilic nature of the book of Isaiah. I believe that there is but one Isaiah. I don't think there are two. I think it all takes place in terms of ministry prior to the exile. And it just is an incredible prophetic uh, statement concerning what's going to happen in the future. Because everyone would understand certainly that the entire prophetic book of Isaiah was completed long before Jesus actually Died on the cross. So it's not unusual that you have prophetic material in the prophetic books. But what is striking is that even before Israel is carried away into captivity, the prophet's already speaking about their being forgiven. It's already talking about their restoration. It's already talking about the restored relationship that they are going to experience with God. So, warning them, telling them that this destruction is going to come. And then even before it comes, already talking about the goodness of God in granting repentance. And so we want to focus our attention tonight and the ensuing weeks on this message of forgiveness. And uh, I invite you to look with me at the handout. And we're talking about God's comfort for God's people. Tonight, if you notice the transitional statement, it says there's great comfort in knowing that our sins are forgiven. The key verse is Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. This is what God challenges and... Authorizes Isaiah to do. To comfort the children of Israel. And we're going to. See that there are. Many different reasons for comfort. That's why this is part one. The first reason. That we're going to look at in detail. Is that their sins. Are forgiven. There is an incredible. Incredible. Comfort. In knowing that our sins. Are forgiven. I hope that you experience that peace with God, that confidence that whatever it is that you have done in the past, that by the grace and goodness of God, that sin has been forgiven. And we want to look at that in more detail. So key verses: Isaiah forty verses one and two. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem, and call out to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So the theme is Isaiah is to speak comforting words to Israel and assuring her that her sins are forgiven. So, number one, there is comfort in knowing that the punishment due to Israel's sinfulness has come to an end. Speak kindly, Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has ended. Uh, Israel is going to know a great deal of warfare. Uh, There is going to be the destruction of Samaria. And there's going to be the destruction of Jerusalem. They're going to go to battle. And not only are they going to go to battle, but they're going to lose. They're going to be carried away into captivity. But Isaiah says, comfort them. God says to Isaiah, comfort them and tell them that there's going to be a time in which their warfare has ended. That the punishment due to their sins is going to be fulfilled, that it's going to come to an end. It's wonderful to realize that Jesus Christ has borne the punishment for our sin. He bore the consequences for our ungodliness. All of God's wrath has been poured out upon him. You and I do not presently and will not In the future, experience God's wrath. That punishment has been taken. It's gone. Secondly, there is comfort in knowing that Israel's uncleanness has been taken away. That her iniquity has been removed. I mentioned just a week or two ago that the primary aspect of iniquity is filthiness. It's uncleanness. It's dirtiness. And sometimes we feel dirty because of our sins. We can feel unclean. It is Shakespeare's Macbeth that tries to wash one's hands of the blood that comes through murder. And of course the blood is imaginary. It's not actually on the hands any longer. But, you see, the primary emphasis is that the person feels that blood on their hands. And they just can't wash themselves. Sometimes we feel dirty. Sometimes we feel unclean. Sometimes we feel unacceptable. The emphasis of this uncleanliness in the scripture is separation from God. It's pictured in the uh, lepers that have to go and say unclean, unclean. And in their uncleanliness, they are separated from God. Book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Isaiah says, woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Unworthy to speak for God. Unworthy to be acceptable by God. God says your uncleanliness has been removed. That filth of sin Is taken away, which means that our relationship with God is restored. We have fellowship with Him. Thirdly, there is comfort in knowing that the debt of Israel's sin has been fully paid. Isaiah 42 that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The picture of a double payment is to say it is paid in full, there is nothing more. That Israel has to do in order for their sins to be forgiven. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. A tremendous New Testament verse says. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He paid our debt in full. There is nothing for us to add to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no sense... In which you and I are making payment for our sin. It isn't though he paid 90% and we have to come up with the other 10. Or even though he paid 95% and we have to come up with the, the extra 5. There is no payment that we are making for sin. It is fully paid. And there is comfort in knowing that the road to repentance has been paved. The road to repentance has been paved. There is this... Beautiful imagery, and I can't ever uh, read this without thinking of Handel's Messiah, and uh, maybe these words ring in your your mind as you, you read these, these verses. But it says, A voice is calling. Clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become plain, the rugged terrain, a broad valley. This is... Poetic material that describes a smooth path, notice Isaiah verse forty. Let the valley be lifted up, okay, so you have the indented valley, and it 's going to be raised, and you have the mountains made low, and it 's picturing just you see an, an even road with no valleys, no hills, rugged terrain 's been removed i 've decided to, to call it a paved highway, no potholes. Brand new macadam so that there is just swift sailing. The idea here is that that God is going to pave this road for repentance so that there is nothing to hinder. It's it's nothing hard about it. It's an easy road that leads now to repentance. It is in the establishing the road to repentance that God is Exalted, Verse 5. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Uh, go home and listen to the Messiah. It we'll would probably do more than this message would do for you. It's just, it's just glorious at this point. But the idea here is that God is going to reveal His glory. In the book of Exodus... Moses pleads with God that God would show him his glory. And uh, Moses is up on a mount. And God says, you cannot look upon my face for no man can see God and live, but I'll show you my back. Picture, uh, a figure of speech saying, I'll give you a, a glimpse, a small glimpse of, of my glory. And that glory that is revealed to uh, Moses is that God at one and the same time can punish sin and forgive iniquity. There is nothing more glorious than a holy and right and justice of God combined with His mercy and grace. He's just. He punishes sin. And at the same time, He's merciful and He's gracious. That is His glory. The, the glory of God is going to be revealed. We are going to understand the beauty of the justice of God and the mercy of God. And of course, even in the book of Isaiah, that's going to turn out to be because of the work of the Lord Jesus. He's going to bear our iniquity, and we're going to experience the forgiveness of sin. The uh, New Testament tells us that this voice of one crying in the wilderness is none other than John the Baptist. Matthew 3, verse 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Be ready to receive him. The New Testament says, that's who Isaiah was speaking about. He's speaking about John the Baptist. Again in Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. The road to repentance will be revealed to all, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. In Mark chapter 1 verse 5 it says all Judea was going out to him. All the, the territories around Jerusalem were flocking to John the Baptist to hear this message. But we get to the book of Revelation. And we find out that there's going to be people from every tongue and tribe and uh, people and nation that are going to stand before the throne of God, rejoicing, having been forgiven. All flesh is going to see this incredible road to repentance, culminating in Jesus Christ. Uh, You uh, have heard the adage, I'm sure all roads lead to Rome. Well, in the gospel and in the scripture, all roads lead to Jesus Christ. It is through him and him alone that we experience the forgiveness of sins. It's through Jesus and him alone, this suffering serpent of the book of Isaiah, that the children of Israel are going to be restored. All of this will surely come to pass. Isaiah 40, verse 5. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the flesh will see it together. Why? For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it, because God has declared it to be so. The children of Israel have been broken due to their sin. A voice says, Call out. Then he answered, What shall I call out? This is what he is to say. All flesh is grass. And all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. God has breathed out. His indignation. Against the children of Israel. And they withered. They were like grass that was burned up. They were like straw. They were like hay. They were like stubble. But. But. God would restore her again. Verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. God's purposes will be accomplished. His forgiveness will be experienced because he has said so. It's a wonderful joy to be able to be moved in our lives from a period of brokenness to a period of of joyfulness. Uh, Many of you can relate to the brokenness that comes into our hearts and our lives because of sin. Misery, heartache, turmoil. Can you remember some of the things that you experienced before you came to to know the forgiveness of God? Some of you have had some difficult lives, some painful experiences, some memories that you'd like to put out of your, your mind. Bad days, horrendous days. Days in which you disappointed people and people disappointed you. Days in which perhaps you were physically sick. Days in which your heart broke. Days in which tears flowed from your your eyes. Days in which you couldn't sleep, you couldn't find rest. Your heart palpitated. Your conscience seared. You were broken. You're like grass that withers. And then you came to know the forgiveness of God, and he restored you. Your heart leaps. You can look back and have a whole different perspective now on those former days. You can rejoice in the goodness of God. You're made whole. You're happy. You're satisfied. You're complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's word says you'll be restored. And then lastly, Israel is to be comforted In taking a fresh look at the God who grants forgiveness. Uh, The next section is a glorious section that just dwells on the person of God. This leads into it. We'll see the glorious section that speaks about the person of God next week. But here is the idea of the sure nature of the forgiveness that Israel will experience. How can they be assured of the forgiveness of God? First, God is omnipotent. Behold, the Lord God will come with might. He's going to come with a strong hand. He's going to bring victory. The children of Israel are going to experience a great defeat when Jerusalem falls and they're carried away into captivity. Why do they experience the defeat? Not because God has become weak. Not because his, his right hand has been slackened. Not because the gods of the Babylonians defeated the God of Israel. The reason that Israel fell was because of God's punishment. But God is still Almighty God. And God says, there's a day coming and warfare in Jerusalem is going to cease. Why? Because God is omnipotent. He comes with might. He comes with strength. He subdues nations, armies, king. Which brings us to the second point. God is sovereign. With his arm ruling for him. He's going to rule. He's going to reign. His will is going to be accomplished. His authority is going to be exerted. He's not going to allow these other nations to prosper any longer. And then they're to look and see that God is righteous. God rewards good. Behold, His reward is with Him. When He comes, He's going to reward faithfulness. And God punishes evil and His recompense before Him. Uh, The nations that have been used of God to bring judgment against Israel are wicked nations. And God says, their day is coming. Their recompense is going to be manifested Evil is not going to triumph forever. Because God comes with a mighty hand. He rewards good. He punishes evil. It's good for us to know. For we live in a present evil world. And it's good for us to remember that that evil is going to come to an end. There's going to be a time in which Jesus Christ returns. And when he does, he's going to return with a rod of iron. He's going to reign on this earth. And when he reigns, he's going to reward good. He's going to punish evil. All things are going to be made right. And then lastly, God is merciful. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them to his bosom. He will greatly lead the nursing ewes. This arm of God, this mighty arm of God that is able to subdue Nations, this mighty arm of God that he's going to come and rule with, according to Isaiah verse 4010, is going to be an arm that comforts his people. My dad, as many of you know, was a farmer. My dad, in his heyday, was an extremely strong individual. My dad was about six foot one. 220 pounds in his prime. My dad could pick up a 100-pound feed bag in each arm and carry it. And I saw him with one arm. He would take a 100-pound feed bag and pick it up and toss it onto a wagon. His left arm, pick up this 100-pound feed bag. One arm, throw it into a, a wagon. My dad had incredibly big hands because my dad started farming... Long before there was uh, automatic uh, milking machines, my dad would milk cows by hand, you know squeezing uh, those uh, udders and uh, milking cows. My dad would milk 30 cows by hand by hand. he 'd milk thirty cows at a time that took a lot of strength you know a lot of people like to squeeze those things to uh, strengthen their hand my dad's hand was huge big I can remember as a little kid holding my dad's not hand but finger and I would hold his little finger and I don't remember how old I was I don't know when I quit holding my dad's hand probably when I was about 3 or 4 or 5 but I can remember this I never got to a place as a little kid that I could actually put my whole hand around his little finger. I could get partially around. I couldn't engulf his little finger in my hand. He had immense hands. Powerful hands. Hands that I wouldn't want to get into a fight with my dad. He used to wrestle me when I was a kid. And uh, didn't get very far. Uh, He could easily subdue me. My dad uh, used his hands every once in a while to uh, teach me some lessons and some discipline. I uh, would sit in church next to my dad when I was little. And uh, if I was you know, moving around a little too much, if I was getting a little antsy, all of a sudden this big hand would come down on my knee. He just rested there. I'd look up at him, he'd smile at me as his hand was on my knee. Everything was fine. If I kept wussing around, if I kept moving and stuff, then all of a sudden that hand would just begin to clamp on my knee, and uh, it would just clamp a little harder and little harder. Nobody would see anything, you know. Nobody knew what was going on, but my knee was starting to hurt, and uh, it was okay. You better settle down, and of course I did. Of course I did. Big hands, big hands. But what I remember most about my dad's hands was the gentleness in which he used them. My dad used to love to play with my hair. Whenever I would talk to him, he'd always come up to me when I was little, rest his hand delicately on my head, and just stroke my head. Just stroke my head. Kindly twirl my hair. He loved me. It was comforting for me. To know about my dad's strength. I looked up to him. I didn't fear anything. I thought my dad could do anything. He couldn't. But God can. And this passage starts out with a God who has an incredible right arm that can bring about anything that he chooses and ends with the God being a shepherd picking us up in those mighty arms and holding us gently and carefully. There's a great comfort in knowing that our God is sovereign Powerful and in control. And that we never have to fear that power and might being used against us. It's always for our protection. Always for our well-being. Always for our comfort. There is great comfort in knowing that our sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Our Father. We-